Um, there's just so much more grace we can offer to ourselves and to those that we interact with in our lives when we understand that, you know, we really are different from each other. I think everybody tends to want to make everyone else like them. You know, you understand yourself. So you think, well, that person is different from me. I just want to get them to be more like me. And when we can understand that that is literally impossible, I think we can make our lives a whole lot easier. Welcome to an extra special episode of the Right Side Up Leadership Podcast. No offense to David, but our guest today is much better looking than him. My amazing bride, Julie, is joining me on today's episode, and we are going to be giving you a peek into the Enneagram. This has become a major piece of what Julie and I get to do together. Last year, Julie and I started to discover how relevant this was to other marriages, to teams at work, to churches and to people just working together and needing to understand who we are in the context of team. And we began leading trainings here locally in Colorado Springs. Since then, we've been leading online trainings and have gone really all across the country to begin to kind of massage this idea of how the Enneagram can help us understand ourselves and understand our team. St. Augustine said, know thy God and know thyself. And I think we struggle in the area of self-awareness and many times don't know what we're bringing to the team. Julie and I have the great joy of co-leading the team at Stay Forth Designs, and we also get to go teach this material to teams, to organizations, to churches, and we would love to drop into your context and to be able to shape your team in this. And so today's a great opportunity to give kind of a 1.0 look at the Enneagram. So if you have no idea what the Enneagram is, listen in, take some notes, and maybe you'll discover what your number is. But a caution, don't type somebody else. And I know you may be trying to figure out what somebody else's number is. Well, we'd encourage you to hit the share button. Share this, text it, screenshot it to a friend so they can listen along and so that they can begin to dig at their motivation. The Enneagram is all about motivation, not just the actions behind that. So we're really excited to kind of preview what this Enneagram thing is all about. If you're wondering, this is a great episode to listen in on. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode with my wife, Julie Briggs. Well, hey guys, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Right Side Up Leadership Podcast. Today's going to be a good one. I think you're going to like today's podcast, not only because I'm joined with my beautiful wife here in the studio. Hey, Jules. Hey there. But because we're talking about the Enneagram. Now, the Enneagram is a huge deal. If you haven't heard about it, you will soon. Maybe you're tuning into this because you're saying, what is the big deal with the Enneagram? And I found out about it a couple of years ago. Uh, Actually, a friend of mine edited uh, the book, The Road Back to You, kind of widely known as that 1.0 great entry point book by Ian Morgan Cron and we follow along with his podcast, Typology. There's great stuff there, great resources. But immediately I knew there's something here as it began to read me like a book. I mean, literally thinking, wow, how do they know this stuff? And we've had that experience uh, with literally hundreds of leaders now realizing, whoa, there's kind of an aha moment happening here. And so we get to train teams in this. And Julie and I 
not only uh, co-lead Stay Forth Designs, but we actually get to do Enneagram intensives, kind of a 1.0 all the way through 4.0, which looks like how does this affect how we parent and lead and respond to the good, the bad, the hard of life? Uh, And so really what we want to do today is to give you a 1.0 introduction to the Enneagram. We might come back in a few episodes and uh, dig a little bit deeper, respond to some questions. But for now, we want to give a 1.0 to the Enneagram. So if you have a relative who's curious about this, if somebody hasn't heard about this, if you've been talking with somebody, if you would just share this episode with them, we think this will be a great chance for you to get an overview. And so as I'm joined here by my wife, uh, I wanted to give a little bit of a background and have her give some background on not just why she got excited about the Enneagram, but why she got excited about helping people uncover their unique wiring. So Jules, how did you get into this idea of helping people discover who God has uniquely wired them to be? Yeah. um, So I got my degree several years ago, my master's degree in counseling. And I thought, you know, I want to help people. I'm a good listener. Maybe counseling would be the right track for me. And so I found myself after graduation struggling with this idea of I didn't feel fully called or excited into doing something like private practice counseling. I tried it a little bit. It was fine, but something just felt like it wasn't a good fit for me personally um, as a counselor in that role. And so I started uh, reading books and doing research and just looking into other things. And I found the stuff that made me the most excited was getting into personality and understanding personality and hardwiring, whether it's, you know, Myers-Briggs stuff or just trying to figure out why people are different from each other, why people think differently, why we need to, you know, recoup in different ways. I just started seeing a lot of benefit in um, understanding ourselves, understanding our partners, understanding the people we work with, our children, Um, There's just so much more grace we can offer to ourselves and to those that we interact with in our lives when we understand that, you know, we really are different from each other. I think everybody tends to want to make everyone else like them. You know, you understand yourself. So you think, well, that person is different from me. I just want to get them to be more like me. And when we can understand that that is literally impossible, I think we can make our lives a whole lot easier. And we see the destructive nature of that binary. There's ones and zeros. There's me versus you. There's right versus wrong in terms of the way that we interact and how much damage has been done relationally through that. So uh, as we've taught the Enneagram together to teams, I really feel like we're both in our element. We both, uh, whether I'm kind of in the back uh, pouring some coffee, as Julie's introducing one number, bringing out some questions, um, she really gets to be in her sweet spot, helping people discover how they're uniquely Wired and designed is that word that we use a lot at Stay Forth Designs, Um, but also getting to draw that out of people. It's really fun watching these aha moments. So maybe even as you're listening, you say, oh man, that's me. Well, keep listening. The Enneagram is very unique. It isn't a feel-good tool because it it shares some of the good, the hard. As you dig into it, there's so many layers here. We're just going to give a brief introduction to the Enneagram, but it does measure motivation. It's a tool that you know we, we don't think much about motivation in the course of life, but it's so important and it is a tool. It's not the only tool. And so don't get obsessed with it. Don't you know 
talk to every friend and try to uh, stereotype every friend and all that. Don't go do that, but begin to let this kind of soak in if this is new to you. Uh, again, if this is old hat uh, to you, dig in, maybe find a fresh insight, maybe share this with somebody who's new to the Enneagram. Uh, Julie's also doing unique design coaching right now. How is that unique design coaching process kind of tied in with your desire to, to help people discover how they're wired? Yeah. Well, like I said, I think there's a great benefit in us understanding our hardwiring. And I know a lot of people are really opposed to personality tests. They think, you know, don't put me in a box. I don't want to be, you know, why do I have to be a golden retriever or, you know, a Disney princess or a six or whatever all that means. Um, and I've really started to look at it less as the idea of, you know, you're these four letters on Meyer Briggs there, therefore you're stuck in a box and, um, we know everything we need to know about you. It's not about that. It's about, here's a framework for your hardwiring. And yes, you are still going to be different than other people who might have that same framework, but we can actually experience a lot of freedom when we discover how we were hardwired, um, how we best operate and then how we can best put ourselves out there in the world. So I developed Unique Design Coaching, and it's kind of this idea of marrying together um, counseling and coaching, where I can help people um, through a series of different uh, personality assessments, where I can help people understand how they're hardwired, um, what things are important to them, and how they operate best, and then you know use that information if need be to process relationships or experiences from their past, maybe certain things will make more sense to them now. I know that certainly happened to me when I dug more into the Enneagram and found out my number and then, and you know, really took a tailspin into that. Uh, I was just shocked at how many experiences I could think of from my life growing up that just made so much more sense to me now in light of this new information that I had. So I really love working with people to help them understand themselves, help them process whatever they need to, and then how do we move forward into a, a successful life of being able to live positively um, out of out of our hardwiring? And ultimately, I think everybody really wants to feel and be known, and I think that's another huge gift that we can give each other when we understand that we're built differently, when we understand ourselves better. Um, it's easier for us to give that gift to each other of just being known. And it can be incredibly overwhelming. You read through something or you take an assessment, you read through a book, different way of seeing life, and you don't know how it impacts how you live and how you lead. Shameless plug, Julie's amazing at this. She helps me in this, her friends, I mean, just people around her. It's just something she naturally does and now getting the opportunity to bring that into coaching. So if that's something you're looking to know, how do these things kind of lay over each other and overlap um, Julie helps make sense of those. You can see that on our website at stayforth.com. So let's get right to it, uh, to the Enneagram. So there are nine different numbers, and we'll go through uh, each number kind of slowly, pull out a few tidbits uh, after that, and they go one to nine. No number is better uh, than the other one. And you might uh, have some behaviors of one of these numbers, but the real important thing is the motivation down deep. And if today's podcast isn't enough or deep enough, we do encourage you, pick up uh, the road back to you. We'll leave it in the show notes. A great starting spot to really dig into these numbers. So go ahead and take it away with number one. 
Okay, great. So um, like Alan said, these are basically, uh, if you think about each number as more of a home base, there are billions of people in the world, right? And if we all have a home base of one of these numbers, it doesn't mean that we all look the same. Uh, people look vastly different, whether they're um, introverted or extroverted, or how healthy or unhealthy they are, how self-aware or unself-aware they are. So this is just a teeny tiny little drop in the bucket of information about each number to help people as a jumping off point. So again, we're less concerned about do you do the behaviors of each number? And it's much more about do you resonate with the underlying motivation of each number? So we'll start with one because that's an easy place to start. Um, ones are sometimes called uh, the perfectionist or the reformer. They do not like the title perfectionist, but it tends to actually fit them best. Um, but sometimes we'll just refer to it as a one and leave it at that. Um, ones uh, very much view the world in, in black and white. They feel a strong personal sense to need to improve things, that there's just a right way and a wrong th way for things to get done. Uh, they're very efficient and they can typically walk into a room and immediately spot, you know, what's not done very well, what needs to be corrected, what needs to be fixed, how can this area be made more efficient. Um, they care a lot about doing things well and doing things right. And that is kind of the underlying motivation of a one is uh, to be right because they want to improve themselves. They want to improve the world. Uh, ones also tend to have an internal critic. So there's a voice in their head that is typically reminding them uh, that things are not good enough. That wasn't good enough. You might have messed up there. And so they're always trying to uh, kind of beat down or take care of that internal critic. They want to do things right. Um, but can struggle with that idea of, you know, who am I or where is my worth and value if I don't do something right? So rightness is very uh, important to them. Kind of a leadership thought for ones, whether you are one or, or leading a one, ones can see things that other people can't. Now, maybe it's something simple like loading the dishwasher and can see that it's not done the right way. There's really a right and a wrong way. And so they can make uh, great consultants or maybe the person on your team that may frustrate you, but they, they literally see things that could be done better. And for us as leaders to lean into that, to welcome their perspectives on the team and to invite them into that and know that maybe as critical as they might seem uh, on something, they're far more critical on themselves. So we need to be able to offer grace to ones, to be able to say to one, maybe that standard uh, that you have that's so high, maybe good enough is good enough. And to to lower the bar a little bit in the sense to be able to have conversations about grace, that can be incredibly powerful for a one. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll move on here uh, quickly to two. Uh, twos are often called the helper and they really care a lot about meeting people's needs. So they're the ones who walk into a room and immediately ask, how can I help? What do you need? What can I do? Um, they really, that, that's the kind of the primary objective on their mind is, uh, helping and serving other people. Um, the underbelly of that is that twos have a desire. Uh, most of the time it's very subconscious, um, but they need to be needed. And so they can tend to find their worth in meeting the needs of other people and question their worth when they're, when they're not able to do that. So they have that underlying motivation, of needing to be uh, loved and needed and appreciated 
They really want other people to respond to them. Um, they're very good at intuiting other people's needs and kind of knowing what other people need and then meeting those needs. Uh, but the flip side of that is that they're not very good at admitting their own needs. So the underlying motivation, again, for the two is to be needed. Um, and they just really want to take care of other people. And anger can come out of each person and each number within the Enneagram in different ways. And so anger tends to come out in the two as resentment, because if they're serving other people, if you think about it, if you're really good at serving other people, it's nearly impossible for other people to serve you better in that way. So it's really hard for people to intuit and serve the needs of twos. Many times twos also uh, don't want to share that they have needs. They're so used to taking care of needs. And so if you are a two or there's somebody else on your team who's a two, to be able to thank them, just to say, thank you, I see your investment, I see how you are helping, how you are helping the team do this, but also to be able to remind them it's okay to receive. And maybe a, a question to ask is, when you serve someone in this way, what do you expect back? And that can feel like a bad or wrong question. And I asked this to somebody I was coaching, and, and it was just an aha moment for him to realize, huh, maybe I do have some expectations in there. And these um, responses, these questions to those on your team can be very powerful if you begin to dig in to that. Because again, we're talking about motivation, literally what we are wired or motivated to do. Mm -hmm. All right. So diving into three, threes are usually called the achiever or the performer. So they are um, hardworking, you know, can even tend towards uh, workaholism, uh, because they like to get stuff done. They're competitive. They want to knock their goals out of the park. Um, but they're also very image conscious. And so that underlying motivation for uh, a three or that thing that they tend to believe without knowing that they believe it is that they are loved for what they do instead of for who they are. So threes are always trying to impress. They present themselves very well. Um, and it's not always it's not always a front. They're not trying to deceive you and make you think that they're, you know, a big deal, but it's just this hardwired urge inside of them that they're driven towards success. They want to be successful. And if they feel like they can't truly be successful, they're going to do whatever it takes to at least appear successful in however, whatever ways um, success looks like to their community. So that underbelly for a three is fighting that, um, desire to think that their value comes from what they do and really learning to rest in finding value in who they are. So if you're a, a three listening to this, knowing some of these words can kind of be a little bit prickly and can feel uh, even demeaning as, as they're said, but I call threes the GEDs, the getter done. These are the people that just know how to get it done. So if you're a three listening to this, uh, know that you are wired to produce amazing things. And threes rise to this amazing level often of impact and significance in the world, accomplish amazing things, but know that who you are is more important than what you do. That's a really important message if you are a three or you're leading a three. And also realize the danger in, in spinning a situation. If something didn't go well, that you don't need to spin it um, to say that it went great and, and everything was was fine about it, to say it's okay to not be okay, even when things didn't go up to the desire that that you had achieved it. But threes are amazing to have on teams. They rise uh, to the next level. 
and they can be amazing to watch a team go to the next level. Okay, so fours. Fours are usually called um, the individualist, the romantic. They have a strong sense of authenticity. It's very important to them to be authentic. They're usually very emotional and creative people. Uh, fours are deep feelers. They definitely read the world through their feelings. Um, but they have a very strong desire to be different and special and unique. They often feel like other people don't get them or they've grown up thinking that they, you know, feeling like they were too much for other people to handle. Um, but they really do have so much beauty to offer the world. Um, that underlying, you know, major motivation for fours is just that idea of being special and unique and authentic. Um, they they want to be different, but they also really don't want to be alone or set apart. So they have a strong desire to be able to be themselves, to express themselves emotionally and creatively, um, but just that need to be different and special and authentic is is very high for fours. So if you are a four or leading a four, it's really important to give four space, space to create, space to innovate, space to be authentic. Authentic or unique is really the word of the four or the individualist. And so expressing the, the, creative, um, the creative flow or creative ideas in the process is very, very important. And so as you can imagine, fours can feel boxed in in many environments, maybe even in personality uh, assessments or things like this in conversations, they may not like that, but fours can create some beauty in the world. That's, that's pretty incredible. Uh, something to think about as well for fours is to remind them to stay steady and stay consistent. While they may want to have their hands in six or seven new projects, just to encourage them to pick one and to just be consistent and keep taking the next right step. It's kind of the superpower of fours is when they begin to be consistent and just to continue taking the right step steps toward their next destination. Okay, so five is the investigator um, or the observer. Fives tend to uh, be much more private and uh, withholding of themselves. They care a lot about knowledge and information. They're, the big thing for fives is they want to be competent. So they never want to be made to look foolish, and they usually don't have any desire to be the center of attention. Uh, fives kind of have a limited amount of energy for each day, and when it's done, it's done. So uh, because of that, they're going to be more a little. They're going to be a little bit more careful with how they expend their time and energy with the things that they do. They're they're more likely to hoard, you know, their own privacy and energy, and uh, just wanting to be careful with how they spend that. But again, like I said, it's very important for them to be competent to know what they're talking about. They, they want to have time to process how they think or feel about things so they can present themselves um, well. But again, that limited amount of energy that need to be competent and avoid looking foolish um, are big for fives. But they're, they're visionary pioneers. They are very capable people. When you got a five on your team, you know, you're going to have a great team. And 
one way that fives make their team better is by getting really good research, by researching the best, the next. And uh, we really, as leaders, need to appreciate the work that fives have put in behind the scenes. Many times, or most times, it is behind the scenes. And so there's a five in my life who even researches uh, the cheapest airline tickets and somehow finds them far cheaper than me. And I used to feel bad asking him if he'd help me. It turns out he really likes to help and likes to find that amazing deal. Um, also have a, a five in my life who helped us uh, with this podcast gear and helped us get the right programs and do some research for us. And that really makes him feel valued when you say, wow, thank you. You saved us so much time and we came up with the next best decision. Don't try to surprise fives also in meetings. Give them time to process. They really appreciate it if you give them agenda ahead of time, questions ahead of time, and things they can come in feeling prepared. So again, they can be competent and they can add value to the whole team around them. Okay. So six are usually called the loyalists. Um, six, sixes are very, um, you know, stable, reliable, loyal people. They're keeping the wheels turning in our businesses and churches and organizations. Um, they're very loyal. They're very supportive. They will, you know, show up and do their best. They care a lot about the people in their lives. Um, but that underbelly for them is they have this strong desire for security. And so they tend to, uh, they can tend to be pessimistic if unhealthy, um, and they are worst case scenario thinkers. So sixes are typically always thinking about what is the worst that could happen because they want to have a plan against it, right? So there are also um, two different kinds of sixes. You have phobic sixes and counterphobic sixes. So the underlying motivation is the same. You know, they want safety and security, um, and they both have that uh, worst case scenario thinking. But phobic sixes will tend to uh, back off from or maybe run away from things that scare them, whereas counterphobic sixes will kind of charge into the things that scare them to prove to themselves that they can come out on the other side, that it will be okay, you know, that their that their plan for security or safety uh, will work. And so, you know, they fight against fear and that desire for security, but really that worst case scenario planning, you know, if we do this, well, what if this happens? If we do this, what, you know, what if this happens? Um, that's kind of going on in their head, you know, most of the time. And uh, some people think there may be more sixes than any other number. And if you think about it, sixes are amazing. Sixes are what keep organizations going and heading forward. If everybody's a leader and nobody's following, then we're not leaders. And so it's really important to thank sixes for their loyalty, for their steadiness. Many times the sixes are the ones that just say, just tell me what to do. I'm going to keep going uh, on this team. They don't need to be impressed. They don't need to be wowed. They don't need to be the center of attention. The next thing doesn't have to be amazing, but they just keep helping the organization and helping people as they go. So make sure to appreciate sixes, to thank them for their loyalty, their sacrifice, their steadiness. And a word we don't have much in our culture today, their faithfulness. They are faithful followers and they have an interesting relationship with authority. They can push hard against authority or they can actually lean so much into authority, kind of blindly follow. Uh, and so for sixes, continue to ask them questions and maybe even pull them out a little bit and, and ask them, maybe would they step forward and take a risk in the near future and to be able to kind of come into themselves instead of just feeling like they need to follow the next idea or plan. And that can help to uh, 
to value sixes and actually to have them step into what they're more uniquely designed to do. Okay, so sevens are the adventurers, the enthusiasts. Um, they are really happy, positive, sunny side up, you know, glass half full kind of people. They usually have a great extroverted energy to them and they're pleasure seekers. They, they run after things that are happy and fun and exciting. Uh, that big desire or underlying motivation is that they want to be happy and so therefore they want to avoid pain. Um, and their pain avoidance is not an avoidance of physical pain. Um, it's an avoidance of emotional pain or hard, hard or negative feelings or emotions. So when you take a, like you might look at a three and a three might spin a situation so that they end up looking good. A seven will spin a situation to make it feel more positive because they don't want to live on the yucky side of life. So um, they're very uh, happy people. They're very appreciative and joyous. Um, they're great at coming up with new and fun um, adventures and thoughts and ideas, uh, all in that kind of motivation to um, to stay on the positive side of life and to avoid pain. So I'm a seven. Uh, if you know me well, that probably doesn't uh, surprise you. But uh, one thing that I've learned is, you know, thir uh, coming up on 13 years of being a pastor, and uh, I know so much about people's lives. There's so much heartbreak that I'm so close to in people's lives is learning to live within some of that pain, learning that you don't need to run. I don't need to spin it. I don't need to look for the next adventure, but just to sit inside of people's pain, it's a challenge. It's really hard. I come home many days drained from the amount of pain that I see in the world around me, but um, not to live in escapism. Make sure that the sevens on your team, you challenge them to live present, to be steady, to do the next right thing. I think we can learn a lot from sixes who are loyal, who are steady, who are faithful, and really could become kind of the superpower of the seven is just simply doing the next right thing. Doesn't have to be amazing. Don't have to dream about your next adventure or way out. Many sevens kind of can find themselves daydreaming and also gluttony. Gluttony is a big deal for sevens, not just food, but it's more of this, more of that, more of the next experience. And many times to be able to think and even pray with sevens about what does contentment look like in your situation now? Not in the future, not in your next escape or adventure or experience, but right now in the guts of life. Okay, so moving on to eight. Eights are typically called the challenger or the boss, um, and they're just straight shooters. So someone who is an eight has no problem sharing their opinion and they kind of don't understand why everybody else isn't so free to uh, doesn't feel so free to do that as they do. They're straight talkers. Um, they're just gonna say things like they are. Um, their underlying motivation is that they want to be self reliant, and they, while they are great at you know when healthy, they're great at using their voice to stand up for uh, people who might be weak and vulnerable. At the same time, they themselves never want to appear weak or vulnerable. So they care a lot about um, being strong, being they want to be in control of themselves um, because they really want to protect themselves and avoid, you know, any sort of betrayal from from people in the outside world. So, uh, so it's very important to eights that um, that they appear strong. Uh, and they never want to appear weak or vulnerable themselves. So again, they have a powerful voice. They tend to have an intimidating presence. 
and no problem sharing what they think, saying it like it is. And they really want people to match them. And uh, whereas some people feel very uncomfortable with things like confrontation, eights actually feel very comfortable with confrontation, competition, all that kind of stuff. You know, that's where they feel like they're at their best. Eights are very competitive. And uh, as Julie's talking about conflict, eights actually many times feel closer to you after conflict. To say that that strength is a sign um, uh, not only of strength on the other side and kind of matching your strength, but actually of relationship and of vulnerability, really the superpower of the eight is vulnerability. When an eight shows um, some weakness and some vulnerability, then people say, ah, there is the person within that. Uh, And so matched with the strength of the eight, remember the eight can be an incredible advocate, uh, can come alongside of the weak, can come alongside of the broken, the pushed aside. uh, And actually Mother Teresa was an eight. And so you don't have to think about the eight as, you know, an imposing male who maybe is intimidating and, and really tall or whatever, uh, they don't have to be physically domineering when you think about somebody who's as small and tender as Mother Teresa, who used her voice to actually fight for other people. So the last number we have is nines, and they are usually called the peacemaker or the mediator. So nines kind of underlying motivation is they want to live in a world full of peace and harmony. So very hippie-ish, I know. Um, but because of that, nines tend to be conflict avoiders. And they usually can merge very easily with those around them in order to keep the peace. So they want things to go smooth and easy. Um, They're fun and positive people, uh, but if unhealthy, can kind of fall back into this uh, numbness or uh, thinking that their presence doesn't really matter. So they, like I said, they tend to merge with other people in order to keep the peace. Uh, But nines have the special ability that they're actually able to really see and understand both sides of a situation. And so that's part of the reason why they're often called mediators. Um, I myself am a nine. And my whole life, I've always been able to kind of listen to two sides of an argument. And I really do understand where each side is coming from. And I never really understood. I I always kind of thought everybody could do that. And I didn't understand why some people would have such a hard time understanding somebody else's point of view. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean I agree with both sides, but I really do understand both sides. Um, And that is, that's also a key part of being a nine. Nines are awesome. Not just because I'm married to one and, (laughs) and sitting next to one. Um, because many times that's missing in our world, the peacemaker right now. We need peacemakers. We need nines right now to stand up and again to say, this is not uh, you know X's and O's. This isn't ones versus zeros. Uh, this isn't a bipolar argument, but I can understand both sides. So we desperately need peacemakers today. Maybe on their worst day, they might be trying to avoid conflict and be a peacekeeper. Maybe on their best days, actually a peacemaker, where they're leaning into those both sides, as as Julie was talking about. So you can imagine many nines end up in the counseling profession and are amazing listeners, if I can say so myself, and I'm sitting next to one. You can. All right. And uh, and so something, if you're leading nines or you are a nine, uh, make sure that you give nines the opportunity to step up and take agency and ask them, what do you want? 
or give them some options and say, what do you think is the next right decision? And actually allow, and maybe at times even force nines to have to make that decision so they don't feel like they can just fade into the background, that they matter. Remember, nines kind of think they can just fade into the background, remind nines that their presence truly matters. They are known, they are seen. So that's just a really quick overview. Um, Julie, just give us in closing just a couple things uh, that we need to watch out for and that we shouldn't do with the Enneagram. It can be a powerful tool and, and can be used as a weapon. And then give us a few things that we should do to use the Enneagram instead as a blessing presence to people around us instead of as a, a weapon. Yeah. So this today was a teeny, teeny, tiny, like half drop in a bucket. Just a little intro. So there, there is so much more information and, and so much more just powerful content out there in all of this. So I think the danger is to use, some people can use this kind of stuff as a weapon, um, as kind of, you know, the box that people talk about. Well, that's such a three thing to do. You're being such a nine right now. Don't do that. Yes. Don't do that. This is not a weapon. This is not to pin people down to say, well, because you're a six, then you can't blah, blah, blah. No, this is actually a tool. This is an incredible tool for health, for life change, um, because of what I know now about a lot of this stuff and understand now about my own hardwiring, I can have, I can see warning signs for when I'm not in a good place. And I can also uh, see the potential that I have, the things that I'm capable of that I wouldn't necessarily um, have thought have thought of before. Um, I'm also, you know, even for Alan and I understanding each other's temperaments and hardwirings a little bit better. There's so much more grace and understanding in our relationship. Now we don't use that as, um, kind of an excuse to be like, well, you know, I'm a nine. So what do you expect? This is just how I am. But instead we can, we can lean in. I know that I'm a conflict avoider. So when conflict arises, can I address that? Can I lean in? Um, because I know that it's more of an issue for me than maybe some other people or can Alan lean into painful stuff instead of just, you know, running away to the next adventure. Like we're learning about ourselves, the ways that we can lean in. So instead of using this as a weapon, it can become an amazing tool. I think for lots of, you know, personal growth and relational growth. It can also be used as an excuse. I think it's really easy to and I could lean into a gluttonous life of the next experience and chasing the next thing and kind of an excuse to not be present in the moment. And uh, this is not to be used either as a weapon toward other people or as an excuse. Uh, and so becoming what we say, you know, the best version of ourselves. I'm hearing that a lot today in our culture. And what we believe in Stay Forth Designs is actually we are uniquely designed for impact. That God has wired us and hardwired us for something. And this is a tool for hardwiring that there are things about our motivation that we just can't change. So we don't believe your number can change, that you're born a number, and that, that over time we begin to realize there's a huge difference between health and unhealth. Mm -hmm. And so as you dig into the Enneagram more, maybe you already have, begin to see that as an assessment. I know when I go to a certain place of being scattered and of just sort of looking for the next adventure and escapism, that's not good for me. I'm in a bad spot. And I want to come back toward health and realize maybe I haven't been sleeping enough. Maybe I'm stressed. Maybe I'm carrying extra burdens that I don't even know that I am. So we encourage you guys to use this and utilize this 
as just a basic listening points here, but if you know more about the Enneagram and have dug deeper, begin to use that as an assessment for you so that you can stay healthy, so that you can go the distance of life and leadership. This has been hugely powerful for me, uh, myself. It's been hugely powerful. I would even say healing within our marriage to realize, wow, these are things that have always been present about us. And we've just been able to name them. It's been very, very helpful to me in leadership as I lead different teams, begin to recognize. Um, and as people on our team begin to identify, don't identify for somebody else or force them into that, right? We can only see behaviors, not motivations. Um, it, it affects how I lead people differently. And so we actually have several uh, trainings on this. One of my most fun trainings that that we get to lead is actually on le- called Leading Through the Enneagram. And we just do this in person right now. And so if you're interested in taking those next steps, uh, one of those that we can do is Leading Through the Enneagram. If you figure uh, everybody on your team has a pretty good understanding of where they're at and has identified their number, we can talk about how we lead differently uh, as each number and how we kind of handle the stress of life and leadership differently and is very, very impacting as we sit with your team. We can also do that over a Zoom call. Uh, But also, if you feel like my team doesn't have a basic understanding of this, we want to infuse this into our culture as the basic language. Uh, Julie and I can jump on a plane. We can come to your team. And the ideal is either a one or a two-day training with your team to kind of massage this into the culture of your team. And also, we have just released freshly a video And this is a training of us uh, teaching kind of this 1.0 overview a little bit deeper than we have today. So if you're looking for an intro to the Enneagram, you don't have to fly us across the country. You can just go to our website at stayforth.com backslash Enneagram, and you can download this. You can also find it on a resources page at stayforth.com backslash resources. And we've got a special deal for you today just for podcast listeners. We're going to give you 50% off. The 50% off code for introducing the Enneagram video training is Enneagram 50. That's lowercase E-N-N-E-A-G-R-A-M and the number's 50 right after it with no space. Go type that download code in and you can download it for individual use. You can download that for organizational use. And this can be an incredible tool that you can use to shape your team. So we hope you guys have enjoyed just peeking into the Enneagram today. Super proud of my amazing wife. Awesome to be here with Julie. Thanks for dropping some wisdom on us today. And of course, I love spending time with you. Absolutely. You're my favorite seven. Oh, stop it. It's getting mushy around here. We better sign off this podcast. Hey, guys, uh, truly in seven fashion, let me say it is fun hearing feedback from you guys. We have a lot of fun on this side of the podcast, but it has been great to get some early feedback from you guys in this first season. So if you like this, again, we encourage you to share this. If you leave a review, that helps it get higher on the list so we can impact more people with this. But if specifically there's somebody in your life that's curious about the Enneagram, you want them to kind of start the journey of this with you, would encourage you to just hit that share button. You can text it to them, email it to them, or you can share the link on social media. Thanks for joining us today as we've dipped our toe in the water of this incredible tool, the Enneagram. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the Right Side Up Leadership Podcast. Sign us out, Jules. Until next time. Stay forth, my friends. Stay forth, my friends.